Welcome to Build with Rob. It is Rob Deerdeck, the CEO, founder of the Deerdeck Machine, a one of a kind venture creation studio where we systematically fuse art, science, and magic to manufacture amazing. And you already know what it is. If you listen to the show, we manufacture amazing lives. We manufacture amazing businesses. I mean, really, with, with art, science, and magic, have you heard me say you can manufacture anything? And amazing can be anything to you. Per usual, wherever you listen to this show, please like and subscribe. Leave a comment. You know, you know, say something that inspired you. Say something, you know, leave a comment on why, why you don't believe in what I just said. You know what I mean? I'm not saying everything uh, that I say uh, connects with everyone and or ultimately even will fully make sense to everybody. You know, I, I think when I think about myself, there is I do walk the edge of crazy. You know what I mean? So there's certain times where I'm over the edge where it's just like, man, I'm not sure I can relate to that, Rob, but I respect you, bro. Uh, look, you want to be on this show. We love to have entrepreneurs on this show and 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 great guests that that we can help inspire and evolve and, and even learn from myself. So uh, you want to be on the show, go to DirtickMachine.com, put together a little video, tell us about your business, your life vision, and and let's let's talk about it, you know? You want to be involved in our build process, become a machinist. You can also do that at machine, uh, dirtickmachine.com. And, and really connecting with our world in any way, shape, or form, you know, like it's really just about sharing um, the philosophy of art, science, and magic as it relates to business and life. And, and it's across all of our platforms. And, you know, again, showcasing our great do or die or visionary entrepreneur partners and, and, and the stuff that we, we are passionate about creating. Uh, so anything you want to do to interact with us, you know, come along, come along for the ride, you know, I have recently, uh, done a lot of podcast interviews where I sort of share my, uh, passion for quantifiable discipline, you know, where I track everything that I do every single day on the qualitative state, as you've heard me say, if you listen to this show and the quantifiable side, and usually the quantifiable side is health, right? And for me, it's, you know, getting up at five. Did I brain train? Uh, did I meditate? Did I get in the gym? Did I eat clean? And did I have supplements, right? That's sort of like the core ones that I track. But the first one on there is, did I get up at five? You know, and for me, what I was trying to do when I initially did it is, is okay, I'm, I just know that if I get up at five, I, I just, it just seems like my whole life is more together, right? That's, that's sort of the, the idea of, of why I added that to my initial sort of tracking on a quantifiable sort of way. Cause I just kind of like felt instinctually like, okay, well, great. Like if I get up at five, like I'm for sure going to have a better day, right? Because I'm I'm getting more caught up and it gives me that extra hour. But I didn't quite understand like clearly what it was, right? And, and what it truly is, is the power of one hour. You know, it, getting up one hour early is is so much more powerful than I actually realized, right? Because you know, for most people, depending on, on how you live, you're really putting in, you know, seven hours of sleep, right? So you're left with 17 hours in a day. 
you know what I mean? And so now it's like, okay, how much of that time uh, are you going to dedicate to working? And as an entrepreneur, you could basically dedicate all 17, you know what I mean? Outside of showering and eating a little bit, you know, like if when you're building a company or, or, you know, kind of in control of your own destiny and wearing a lot of hats, you could figure out a use of literally every single one of those hours. Now, of course, you know, I am preach it. I live fully balanced, right? So, you know, there's an hour and a half of that's dedicated to health. Uh, you know, a substantial amount of that time is dedicated to my kids and family, you know, and for the most part, I work around seven hours, um, you know, seven, eight hours, give or take per day on average, right? So that, that averages out over a seven day period. And it's fascinating, you know, since I track all of my time, like when I can look at the monthly averages year over year and you kind of see these cycles where like I work, you know, more like higher averages and longer times during the week at the beginning of the year. And in the summer, it's pretty low and picks back up in the late summer and then dips back down in December where I spend more time with my family and less time working. It's really, really, really fascinating on on when you begin to see sort of the your own personal rhythm of how you even spend uh, balanced time. Because even though I track my time, it's still very ad hoc. You know, I'll schedule a lot of stuff. Uh, but for the most part, I'm I I it's super adaptive, and I'm 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 spending my time in sort inside sort of the structured stuff, depending on what I need from an energetic state. And so this is average, right? If you call it sort of seven hours, seven hours a day. And so think about this: if I was getting up at six, and I started getting up at five, that gave me one extra hour of work time a day. And so it's like, okay, well, that's, that's cool. You got, you got up a little bit early. You got seven extra hours, uh, this week, but then you're like, oh, okay. I just got up at five and got seven extra hours. And I'm already like when I work, it's seven hours. I just got a whole day. What? So now like to a normal person working, you know, seven days, like I just got eight. You know, and then then when you really begin to look at that, like, okay, what is that like over month over month and then year over year, right? Well, what does that end up looking like? You you end up getting at that. At, for me, it adds 48 extra work days to the year. 48 extra work days to the year. That is like a month and a half that I've added that I'm able to execute, get work done and continue to evolve and build everything that I'm building, right? And and when you see it from that perspective, that it's really, and because to me, until I kind of did the math and, and began to track my time and understand like the actual impact, I could feel it, right? I could feel it intuitively of like what an impact that hour was having on just me feeling more organized and and getting more things done and and just feeling on on top of things which led me to like man you should track that because the more you do that the higher quality of life that you have and the higher output that you have but then breaking it down when i really begin to understand why you know this idea if you just simply wake up 1 hour earlier per day that you are giving yourself a month and a half 
of additional workdays in a year. And you could get so much more done by simply applying that mythology to your life. And sure, you may sacrifice going to bed a little bit early and watching less Netflix, whatever it may be, if you need the additional sleep, but it is guaranteeing you getting such a higher level and more additional output by opening, uh, by waking up one hour earlier every single day. So look, and then you can go next level. You know, of course, now that I, once I did the math, then I just like, then I'm like, okay, how many times a week can I start waking up at four? Right. So, you know, uh, I, I pushed it to like four because when you go, man, and it's extreme because like, it's normal to me, but I know that like, I used to think about people that wake up at like four and I'd be like, that's insane. It's the middle of the night. You know, recently like Mark Wahlberg was like, it's the 3am club. You know, I'm like, all right, that's, that's, too early. That is the middle of the night, you know, and there's probably like, like five years, like, you know, like a few years I'm going to be getting up at three, you know, and it's going to be like, look, I just got six months to the year added. I'm doing a year and a half to your year. Uh, maybe, I don't know, but uh, I can certainly tell you if you commit to getting up one hour earlier every single day, that it will, uh, increase your output keep you more balanced, like allow you to be more focused and ultimately give you more time to execute uh, the visions and the dreams that you have. All right, look, you know what it is? Another great episode of of do or die visionary entrepreneurs sharing both their business visions and their life visions. So let's get into it. Sean Boyson, welcome to Build with Rob. How are you? I'm doing great, Rob. How are you doing today? Man, look at this incredible Bella Snow layout right here. Man, it's almost like like you're living in a beer right here. It looks amazing. It's almost like we set it up for this, but <laughs> yes. this is how we roll every day. <laughs> Man, and and okay, look, it's the license plate. I'm like, I'm like, what Bellas, Bellas, Bella Snow. It's Bella Snow. Yeah. You're limited to a certain amount of numbers here. So this actually came off our first delivery vehicle, which was a handicapped van. Uh, that we use to do all of our deliveries. We've since sold it, but I kept the front license plate for uh, everybody loves it. Everybody. Okay, okay, good. So I, I like figured you just pulled it off of your car and just I'm gonna use I'm gonna add this to the scene right now just to make it look good. Okay, <laughs> no, this goes with us to events and stuff. I swear. Okay, look, uh, lay out the vision that you have for Bella Snow. Explain to to the listening audience here exactly uh, what the company is, what it makes, and and what you're trying to achieve. Certainly. So I'm going to start just three years ago, give a very quick backstory. But my best friend and I, Matthew, have always had the dream of creating our own company together. But having worked for both uh, two companies that were category creators, Vitacoco Coconut Water and Spiked Seltzer uh, started the hard seltzer category. I knew that if you're going to make a big splash, you had to you had to start your own niche and you had to start your own company. So um So anyway, that was our goal. And then the spark came when I was washing cars with my little sister. She's 115 pounds, but you know, she, she's a boy since she loves keeping up with the boys. And, uh, so I offered her a second beer. She said, no, Sean, I got to drive. I want one, but I can't, I can only have one. And this really wasn't my first time hearing this, um, one in Dunners, um, it's it's even in country songs, one glass of wine and she's kind of tipsy. And so it got me really thinking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, at the time, so I was working for Anheuser-Busch, and all they did was pump into us Bud Light, 4.2%, you 
male driven NASCAR. And I'm like, it's the lowest alcohol percentage category out there. It's the most popular by volume. It's male driven. And the average like size of a man is putting you at being able to have uh, three or four of these and be at a 0.08. So we wanted to create something for people of smaller body types, uh, people with lower tolerance levels, simply not recreating the wheels, just doing it our own way. So we took that model and then we created a taste for our target consumer that we thought was going to be perfect. And to us, it is. And um, that was really the, uh, the spark and the impetus behind the brand. And then, and then tell me like sort of the, the sort of stage that you guys are at right now, right? Cause it's a, you know, the alcohol game is, is difficult, but, but it, it's, it, I understand your path probably a little bit easier since you have a lot of experience in the space, which led to your ability to get into retail. Like what, what is sort of like the journey that you went on from launching it and where do you mainly sell it? Certainly, yeah. So we developed the recipe at UC Davis with the help of their master brewers and our master brewer, who is a food scientist. It was pretty cool. When we were developing the recipe, I was like, do you guys know Peter? And they're like, no, but we've read his books. And so it was super cool. We have an awesome team behind us. Um, Matthew and I launched it with the idea of sort of owning each town. So you want to have two or three places where people can go buy it and take it home. So that would be your off-premise sales. But people also don't want to commit to $9, 10 11 $12 just to try it. So you also want to be in restaurants. You want to be able to have somebody taste it for $4 at happy hour. So we took each town. We tried to add two or three accounts of each. Um, and then we covered Sonoma County. Um, my old boss, Michael Kerbin at Vitacoco, taught me to own the home. And so we sort of we picked our epicenter, and now we've been growing. Um, the last seven months, we have done so well at owning the home that uh, we're starting with our first distributor in two weeks. They were actually Lagunitas's first distributor, and they love taking the, uh, taking the credit for blowing them up so much. So we have the number one craft beer distributor, Morris, coming on here in two weeks. We have brought our capacity from, uh, we've gone five times. So we're ordering 30 barrels, excuse me, six times. We're ordering 30 barrels of beer a month. We're upping our capacity to 180, which is 1,800 cases a month. Um, and so we're really ramping up here for the spring. We've had some good press that's really pushed us forward. And we're going to ride this wave. And we're going to put a little bit of marketing dollars behind it, too. And uh, in my opinion, while we're still the first and really only low-alcohol beer in retail, I want to hit this hard before anybody else comes to retail. So I think this is our spring and our summer to really make our impact before the big dogs come to play. Hey, I'm just, you got me fired up. Dude, you're fired up. You got, me, me, look, you got right me fired now. up, man. You got me fired up. I'm like, man, like, you know, the way that you presented your video was really funny to me, you know, and it's kind of like Dollar Shave Club. And I just keep, I'm keep waiting for Matt's head to pop up Matt. behind the, the back here somewhere. Matt, you know what I'm saying? You look, I can, look, I just keep waiting you know, for, for Matt to pop. There he is. There he is. <laughs> look. We got two best friends. Look, this is it. We got bro, like two dudes bro, doing look. this. Look, but just the fact that like like Matt entered the same as he did in the video, even when I see him in like the New York Times article or whatever it is, it's just Maddie. Maddie, you know what I'm saying? Like he's almost like like silent Bob or something. You know what I'm saying? That's his well, so when we were uh, anyway. going through college, that was his game in the bars, by the way. It was like obviously I'm loud and then Matt was like silent but deadly. So we were just like perfect tag team. <laughs> 
right, look, I, I, but what I appreciate is the depth of, of how much you understand what you're actually doing. You know what I'm saying? Like I, that didn't, didn't, I couldn't see it in, in, in sort of more delivering on the comedy side of, in sort of the, you know, the sales side of sort of the, the video presentation that was done, you know, really funny with pop-ups and, and whatever it may be. And, and so I just got to tell you, like, I, I, you know, just, you know, when you hear somebody talk and they, there's their strategy along with, with an understanding, especially in the alcohol space, there's so many people that jump into alcohol that just think it'd be amazing to have a craft beer and just don't understand the complexities of what it means to build an alcohol business and do not understand the concept of on and off premise and the complexities of distribution. Although beer distribution is obviously much easier to navigate than alcohol distribution, right? But it's still at least coming with that general knowledge and attacking and creating a white space through your experience just lets me know you like I would I just give you such a higher percentage of of win with this just hearing you talk in the first few minutes. Because, you know, because when I think about there's been this huge wave of like non-alcoholic beers right and sort of like and just this idea of um alcohol alternatives you know and and the idea of like splitting the difference of just having still enjoying a a beer in its traditional sort of fashion but with with all these additional benefits and a little less alcohol because at the end of the day it isn't about getting drunk it's about just enjoying it uh is super fascinating to me on its potential but again, I think you dance with the devil when you got to make a market, especially in the space where, you know, you look at the hard seltzer game and when they just, I mean, you know, it was, it was one of the most hardcore attacks of a category once the success was found. Oh, I um, lived it. I lived it. It was tough. Oh, man. I had a, a $40,000 marketing budget given to me for uh, Northern California and the Pacific Northwest to launch our hard seltzer. Um, our owner had met with Boston beer and I'm not gonna say any numbers, but, uh, Boston beer, Miller Coors. And they said, if you don't accept our offer, we're coming out with competition. So that summer we had ours, white claw and truly all launch. And, uh, we had heard through the grapevine, the white claw reps had 400,000. So we were, we were up against it. It was, it was definitely going hard. Oh, and then, then when the category was made, then think of how Bud Light Seltzer and like they like Corona Seltzer, like they even like they were like, we're not going to even build new brands. We're just going to make our version. It was it was a fascinating process to attack a category and an emerging category, uh, which, uh, you know, hearing you even say it's got to be our summer. We got to run and gun out here. Um, you know, I, I definitely I definitely think it's like, you know, you know, it, it's White Claw. Uh, became so culturally relevant, you know what I'm saying? And like, uh, like it's, it's that idea of making some aspect of the brand sort of core marketing, um, that I think you've got to think about when, when connecting to like an audience that, that is loyal to it, regardless of what other, um, you know, competitors may reach that market is just something I think you, you definitely, got to think about when you begin to tell that story at scale, you know, I love it. Okay. Look, hit me with your question, man. This, this question now makes a lot less sense to me. 
Okay. Uh, but I, I, would, I would love to, to hear your question. Okay. So it's just Matthew and myself. And so when, I don't know, the oldest saying in the book is you don't know what you don't know. And so very recently, um, the, the most recent and relevant example I have was our New York Times article. Uh, we, you know, I did the interview and then we had the, the gal come and do the photo shoot, here, photo shoot here at the shop. And I was telling a friend about it. And he goes, oh, did you drop a pixel on your website? What's a pixel? And he goes, oh, it'll track all the IP addresses. And then when you run Facebook ads, it's going to hit those people specifically. So you're going to be spending money on the people that are already interested in you. And I'm like, that's genius. How much is it? And he goes, dude, it's free. And I'm like, oh my God. And so that is just one very minute example of how we could have failed as a business. I see those as failures. Sure, you fail every day. And so if I can start eliminating those little things, the things that can help us move forward, I, I, I want to do them. And so... My question to you is when you're sort of uh, self look, you know, you're doing the macro point of view at the business, the micro point of view and everything in between, how do you find those holes? Do you bring in outside help when you can't afford it? Or do you watch YouTube videos? I just, I really don't know uh, because I don't want to lose the quality or the, how important something like a pixel is. And I wouldn't have known that had I not spoken to my friend that day. So. Yeah. And, and look, you, look, you, you said it in the very beginning, you know what I'm saying? Like, and especially in business, the, you know, the problem with business is, you know, it's, it's different because in your case, you know, I, I would call it founder market fit, meaning you already understand the market that you're entering in. Um, cause a lot of, a lot of times and a lot of people I built companies with that were like had bad founder market fit. And then I was believing more in the product and the, and the person as opposed to, um, in sort of the research as, a uh, and didn't quite understand how much there is to learn until you realize how much you don't know. Right. And, and so you've already have a big leap forward on that and kind of understanding the pace you're in. Now you're talking about something incredibly technical, you know, in a digital performance marketing space. How on earth are you going to know that unless you are a digital performance marketer? And to me, you know, I think that that's, that's less about like, how do you find those holes? You, exactly how, how you found that one. It reveals itself to you. You know what I mean? And really, like, uh, you know, your, your business itself reveals itself to you over time, right? And you as like a founder with your partner, you guys are every day, it's like learning more and more and more, right? It's like when you start a business, especially when you understand like, what you're creating, you know, you have this beautiful framework that is, you know, developing your, the beer, you just got to develop the product and you, you, you can keep your head locked down and kind of what that is because you understand here's all the things that I have to do before I could even start the business. But once you launch a business, it's like, it's basically a daily struggle of like, man, that's so obvious. How come I didn't even know that? How come I didn't even think about that? Like, that's the, what I think is just the continual evolution of being an entrepreneur that never stops, right? And so how many, is this your first company that you, you've ever done? I actually worked for a baseball team. They gave me one point. So I guess that was my first one. One percent. I guess that was my first one. But yes, this is the. First but did company. you like you? Were you like a co-founder and a CEO of it at that no. of that business? No. Yeah, you know it's it's you know and and look even even 
for me, it's like why I tend to build companies with people that have like been through a couple companies, you know, because that experience, it, you know, they end up with this depth of general knowledge to where there's the, the holes are way more far and few between, even if it is in a market that they don't have the same amount of experience in. Um, but you're evolving, right? Like think how much, how, how far you've evolved, like compared to like when you first decided to launch the idea over the last like year and a half, you know what I mean? It's like you, the way that you thought you were going to, to do it is probably completely different than your new strategy for the next year. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's the, the gift and the curse of, of growing and evolving a business. You, you have to learn it. And the problem is, you know, a, a lot of times those lessons uh, can be painful depending on what they are, you know, but look, I can tell, I can tell you're going to, you're going to weather through all of those. And it doesn't matter if you have four or five beers right now in the middle of this interview. You're not going to be bust. Three quarters. <laughs> Yeah, look, and, and, and again, it goes back to the, even with, with your product at the end of the day, making a market too is a taste over everything. It's like in this space, you got, they might love it for the sort of what's compelling about it in the sense like, oh, low alcohol, like that, that would be great. Like I'd love something low oh, and low calorie, like, oh, gluten-free, I'd love that. And if they taste it and that sweet little enzyme that pulls out that gluten makes it taste all greasy or something, you know what I mean? Like that's going to, you know, they're going to be like, oh, you know, and, and at the end of the day, you'll always be beholden to the, to the quality of the, the taste of that product. That was Can number you one. you ensure me? Yeah, yeah. That was and, number and, and one to us. Gonna... Yeah, when we were developing it. Um, so we, our very first thing. So we knew, so we thought we wanted to do just straight 2%. So we wanted to do a 2% cerveza. That was what we went to our brewmaster with. And he's like, dude, you need to do a focus group. Like Bud Select 55 was a lager. That was like 2.4%. That's a failed brand. MGD 64 lager, 2.6% failed brand. But those were lagers marketed to men. Um, so we did a mom queue and we had all of our friends' moms have their mom, all of our friends invite their moms over. <laughs> we barbecued three tri-tips and we were doing like half Modelo, half soda water, half IPA, half soda water. And we did blind taste tests with lime, grapefruit, orange. Number one was a Scottish ale, which if you drink it's 7% version, is like, it's like bread water. But when you get it down to that 2.4, you have some body, you have some clarity. We didn't filter it, so it's a hazy. And so that was a huge part of the process was figuring out the correct type of beer. Second that with the two master brewers and our brewmaster, Peter Stearns. And like, yeah, they're reading books about the guy that wrote this beer. Like, I'm so excited to introduce this to the world. I hope you can feel the excitement. No, no. Look, you're going to win, man. You're going to win, man. (laughs) You're going to win. You're going to win. I mean, it's, it's, it, it, it's gonna, it's tough, right? And it's, it's the chaos. But man, I, I, I'm confident in, in the way that you're approaching it, and, and everything that, that, that you have articulated gives me the utmost confidence that, that you are on the right path. I hope you guys are locked in on your financial planning. I hope you got a. a <laughs> there's, there's something in the works you might know about, so that might uh, help solve some things. <laughs> Okay. Well, look, I just think that you guys look from all, 
from the product, the brand, the energy, I, it would, I would be very saddened if you are not extraordinarily diligent on the backside and the financial strategy. Because as you know, you live and die in how you operate a business by uh, the way that financial viability exists Certainly. within a paper model that you can realize month over month. Do you feel good about your financial capabilities? Personally, no. The business right now is green. So I'm very happy about that. I'd love to get myself to a place where I don't have financial worries, but I'm both feet in. Um, I have very supportive family and friends. Um, I, I, I'd like to say that it, it shouldn't be a worry, but as a 30-year-old yeah. man, you know, you don't want to rely on family and friends. You want to support yourself. So that's a that's a personal and life goal of mine and Matthew's is to create a self-sustaining business where maybe we're happy with the growth and we can start bringing money in or the growth and the money coming in match. Um, but right now we're trying to grow. We, we understand yeah, the and, end goal. And it, yeah. And, and again, I'm saying make sure you stay diligent on the financial side and, and not necessarily about the money you have, you're raising or anything to that fact, really just saying that you understand just sort of the core expenses, the 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 growth and the sales and the revenue and everything, just really mastering the financial side of the business rather than being all product and sales. You know what I mean? It's just thank the, you for Matt. I have that. I I'm the one. Thank I go God. to stores. Thank you, Matt. I go to stores. It's, it's, he sits at a computer okay, and so makes us he, make sure we make money. That's it. Thank God for Matt, man. I don't, almost want to see his face pop back in Matt, again, Matt. man. That's right. So we There's got, so that's much. Our God. There he is. Go Dubs. <laughs> Go Dubs. Man. Okay, look, man. I would be curious as to your personal life vision as a 30, 30 year old man trying to 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 find sustainability. What what does the future of your world look like? Um, so I'd like to say I'm I'm already trying to live it. Um, my I coach high school baseball, so that's my first and that's my first true love is baseball. I've been playing since I was five. There was two years in college where I had to step away from the game um, just <laughs> to try and grow myself in my career. I did internships, et cetera. But ever since then, I've been coaching. So um, going to my ninth season coaching now, I'm the JV baseball coach in Sonoma. We have a game at 3.30 today that we made a lineup for last night. So I want and need a job with healthy work-life balance where I can step away for three hours in the middle of the day. And it's okay if I work from eight to midnight, or it's okay if I wake up at four in the morning and work, but I need that flexibility in my life. And I already know that because that's very important to me. And if I'm able to do the things that make me intrinsically happy, then I'm able to do the things at work that are productive. And so that's my, that's my goal is my two, three year vision is to create a life for myself that's financially stable. And I still get to do the things that are intrinsically important to me. In five years, I'd like to be sitting on a ranch on a hill, <laughs> coaching high school baseball with some horses, um, and then thinking about our next project that Matthew and I are going to do. Yeah. So that, that's the two-year goal, five-year goal. It. And look, and, and to me, it's like, like you know, like especially if, if you go region by region, distributor by distributor, Right. Like there, there's a world that you can create the, the, a tactical pathway to the, to the right multiple at the right time, you know, to get you on that ranch, you know what I mean? And, and, you know, 
you, you keep putting energy on the right plan to get there, uh, you know, the, the universe conspires for you. You know what I mean? So, so, so keep staying focused on that. Hit me with your life question, man. In a, in a world. So when you're starting your own business and especially when you're, you know, you're both feet in, you're in a stage like us where it's literally the more money you put in, the more exponential growth you have. It's, it's literally unlimited right now. Like you get this much more money, you add a second and third distributor, this much more fourth and fifth saying that I have literally no idea what tomorrow holds. Last Wednesday, I woke up asking if I want to be on a podcast with you. So what am I going to wake up tomorrow morning hearing? And so, but there's also, so there's like an awesome part of that. My dad even said it. My dad was, I moved home with my parents. My dad was getting ready for work. And he goes, Sean, I know what's going to happen today. He goes, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know what's going to happen today. He goes, you don't. And he goes, that excites me. And he goes, I am jealous of that. And so I love that part, but it's really, yeah. really scary. Um, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, and so how do I mentally prepare myself for the bad days? I, there are a lot of good days, but there certainly are the rough ones. Yeah. And, and look, and, and I think it's, it's, you know, y your dad's just locked into a system where he's just been on the grind, like for so long, the idea that like, I don't, you get to just get up and go for it is exciting, but it's also the dark side of getting up and going for it is the highs and lows and the doubts and the questions and like, like the days of like, I don't think this is going to work. And if it does, like it's the, that, that is innately deeply painful it's it lasts long it sits on you at baseball practice right it it's like even though you're you're trying to to you know maintain the things that you enjoy and what it is depending on how you're feeling about the business will ultimately like soak into everyone around you uh including pops later that night i don't know dad it was i didn't do anything today you know what i mean and we lost we lost nine nothing oh you know what i mean so we want to know rob it, right okay <laughs> But look, I, I think, you know, even hearing you just sort of talk about, um, you know, you know, getting up at four and knocking it out and then being able to spend time in the afternoon and, and work to eight to 12 uh, in order to cover that, you're you're going to reap the benefit of the clearer you get um, to what the pathway to sustainability is. Right. Like, because like, if it's like, man, if we could get two distributors and, you know, whatever it is, 50 doors and, and on and off, like, and that could get us to just, you know, this amount of revenue to where we could pay ourselves this and, and get to there first and, and stabilize, then decide what it is and, and get to that sustainability because it is, you know, you don't necessarily have to be locked in like pops where you're getting up at six and coming home at six and then waiting for the weekends to catch the game. <laughs> it's it's the it you still want sustainability. We all desire Certainly. it. Right? Certainly. That's, we, the, we that's all, the perfect we all, word for it. Yeah, and it's it's and to me it's always been about like balancing taking risks and being sustainable with intention, right? Like where, you know, when like, Hey, I could be here safely, but I still could take the risk and get even further. And, and you kind of, you got to manage that, but your first goal is baseline, right? Like you guys got to decide like, what, what, what is our baseline that allows us that, that to be able to pay ourselves 
and be able to do this the way that we want to do and then grow it at the pace that you're most comfortable with depending on on the type of person you are cuz different CEOs and different skill sets like grow businesses differently, right? Like some people want to just like try to raise a ton of cash and grow it as big and run it at a loss and market it and go like, because they're built like that, right? They understand that they have financial backgrounds and are, are built like that. Product and sales guys aren't built like that. Product and sales guys are built like, Hey, let's boot, let's, let's boots on the ground, door for door, customer for customer, this thing, you know what I mean? And that's, that's a different type of build. So I think that, and, and, and I can tell by you. Yeah. And I, and I think that that's the, the way that you guys are built to do it. So defining that line of, Hey, where can we get this to where this is this sort of stable version to then be now let's, let's grow it where we feel the most comfortable is where, I think you can you can have your cake and eat it too because you you you're never you you're never going to want to sacrifice the things that give you energy and keep you balanced uh, in the things such as coaching you know what I'm saying so Certainly. you know luckily you for you you're nice and young and and you got the right mindset and you're going to keep learning and evolving and and it's going to that pixel's going to turn into revenue Turn into more distributors. T-shirts, hats, beer. Let's go. Yeah, I want to sell beer all over the country. Okay, well, look, man. I I look forward to seeing how how it evolves, and and wish you the best, man. I have total confidence in 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 your future success, without a doubt. Rob, this was an absolute pleasure, and um, thank you so much. Cheers, and uh, I look forward to having one. And look, he's not even buzzed. He's he's just getting started. No, I'm like a point oh one right now. Yeah. Good. <laughs> all right. All the best, man. Be good. Cheers, Rob. Thank you. Stephanie Foster, welcome to Build with Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Ah, you know, excited to learn uh, about your vision uh, for Tiki, man. I, I was able to watch your two minute drill with David Meltzer. Yeah. You know, I love uh, David Meltzer, he's an amazing. Uh -huh entrepreneur great and great guy. Mm -hmm. So I, I have some, some insight to, to how you would, would pitch the business. I think it's uh, very mm -hmm. cool, but for the listeners, can you lay out sort of the vision that you have for your business and sort of the, the state of what it's in right now? Yeah. Um, so we have a Tiki water enhancement business. Um, the goal for our brand is to be the best healthy, natural, organic use case based liquid enhancer on the market. There's not currently one now that's doing that. Um, you know, I want to show people that water can taste good. It doesn't have to, you can stay hydrated. You don't need the empty calories, artificial ingredients, you know, all those bad things for you. My husband and I developed the business during COVID. I'm a nurse by trade. Um, so we made the products emphasized on the needs of healthcare workers. So our products support immune health, energy, and sleep, which is everything that the healthcare industry needs during the pandemic. And now we realize now there's a much larger market for that, which is great for us. Um, all products, zero calories, zero sugar, sweetened with stevia. Um, you know, we want to be a brand people can trust. You know, I want them to look at the Tiki brand and be like, you know what? Every time I grab that off the shelf, I know that they have doing the best they can, giving us the highest quality ingredients as healthy as it can be for you. So they don't have to question it. Um, we're really excited to move into environmentally conscious, um, in terms of our packaging, all of our packaging is biodegradable. But, you know, we want our bottles to be made of recycled plastic. So we're in the process of doing that. Sky's the limit. You know, we always want to challenge the status quo, see what else we can come up with. And um, 
you know, just keep building. Which one of the products has like resonated the most? You know what I mean? Since because it ends up being if you sleep. Oh, really? That's yeah. It's 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 interesting, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, and then who have you been targeting? Like mainly, have you been have you been kind of targeting a by nurse for nurse sort of community? Like where who have you been deciding on who would be your first customers? Yeah. So I when we first developed it, you know, working in a hospital, I targeted you know nurses, doctors, RTs, you know, um, EMTs, anybody that could use because they understood the product the most, right? We're always tired if you work night shift, always, or you can't sleep because you're working night shift. And then during the pandemic, who doesn't need some vitamins? But ironically, we thought the immune support would be everyone's favorite, but it's sleep because I think it's intriguing to people. There's not currently a liquid sleep product for your water on the market right now. And then do you end up developing different flavors for the different functions or you just ended up having one flavor, one function for each of the start products? One flavor, one function for now. We want to expand the line to do multiple flavors per each use case and then also expand into different use cases as well. And then where have you been finding the most movement from a sales perspective, Amazon, direct-to-consumer, or retail? So direct-to-consumer right now, we sell on our website. Um, We are in the process of launching on Amazon. We're going to start with just our sleep product on Amazon first. We have the largest inventory of that. Kind of start small, grow small. We want want to do it in a smart way. We don't want to you know, if there's such high demand for it, we have all the products on there and we can't get them to the consumer fast enough. So we're, that's where we're going to launch on Amazon. Yeah. And, t- and tell me about that. Like hit me with your first question because it kind of leads into that. So I, I, w- I would love to kind of like talk through that sort of aspect, that inventory pain, if you will. But hit, hit me with that question. Yeah. We're a young company. You know, we just launched, soft launched per se in January. So we have a small number of bottles. So my question is, how do you market effectively with such a small inventory, kind of balancing the demand with the supply person. Yeah. And look, and I, I think, you know, if, well, let me say this, the best thing about your product is Mm -hmm. that it's shelf stable and, you know, so it's got, and it's, you know, you, you order three of them. And even if you over order, like, it's not like you got to run the risk of like, we order too many mind right bars. That bar slowly degenerates over time. You know, like when we're with Luso cloud, if we're ordering slippers, like if you over order in one size and a colorway, like you're stuck with inventory. So the, the, the beauty of it is, is you luckily are in a, in one of the more easy, sort of products to to navigate as it relates to it's not like your development and uh, innovation innovation cycle is 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 short and where you you would get caught with inventory if you will now it's like mm-hmm. okay we're a small company and we're trying to to get our seed capital and trying to figure out where to put it do i spend it on marketing do i go where and if you think there's demand for it boy you you over order it, you over order. Mm-hmm. What you don't want to do is spend what little money you've raised for inventory and not know where you're going to sell it. And and I think that that's a Amazon is a is you know a a great place if you're capitalized and have the experience and and can and keep it stocked. Like you don't want to run out of mm-hmm. stock on Amazon. It's okay. Exactly. Like on your own sort of platform as you're sort of figuring it out and you don't want to get a, a a great retail partner and then sell through and not have 
you know, not be able to support that. So I think it's definitely like, you know, if you have the demand, it's you fight and do everything you can to overorder that product. Because the beauty of the product too is you could keep it all in the garage. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it, it, it's just the another, you know, beautiful benefit to uh, the size of it, the shelf life, you know, mm-hmm. you, like you have someone that lives it on so many different ones. The the only other one to me that's, that's um, more, more convenient is the powders, like the ready mix powders, right? Because mm-hmm. if you have a ready mix powder brand, that thing's going to last for like 10 years and you could have all the inventory in one of your bedrooms. You know what I mean? Like... But you're close to that in in the sense of what it is. But, you know, I I think, you know, especially this is your first company, right? And and really, you know, it's it's easy in the beginning. It's easy and exciting to do product development as a first-time entrepreneur, you know, because it's like, ah, here's the name. This is what we're going to call it. Like, oh, here's the functionality. Then you taste it. Oh, it's like, like, boy, it's like the most... it's so exciting because the framework of product development is so clear. You're not burning any money. You're just figuring it out. And like, you, you know what you got to learn to get there. And there is just nothing. And it never gets old to me of, you know, tasting the product for the first time, seeing the first design of the packaging. It's like, well, then holding it in your hand. It's like, we're really doing this. And look, I did it over and over for years. And I still like every time I get the packaging for the first time, I'm like, oh, now, of course, things get real dark when it, when you launch it. And it's like, okay. Who's going to buy it? Okay. All right. All right. Let's like, you know, like trying to figure it out. It's like, it's like the soft launch phase is this, you know, especially for sort of a first time where you're, you almost all of the strategies on how and where to sell it. You're kind of like experimenting with and learning kind of as you go. Uh, so it's, it's a lot, um, there's a lot to navigate, especially, you know, where direct to consumer seems so simple, but boy, it's complex, right? Especially as it relates to trying to acquire customers, right? And, and getting, getting lost in a very competitive world of ad spend, you know? And, and for me, like when I think about your story and, and sort of like, um, why you're doing it and where you came from, you know, there, there's like a, I, when I think of first time entrepreneurs, I, I, I always like look to where, where is there a potential advantage, right? That drives revenue. And, and, and it's almost like, is it like going to all the hospitals and all, all of their little stores that they have in there and being like, this is, I'm a nurse. I created, this is why it's for everybody in here and what it serves, you know, like, like as a potential baseline distribution outlet, because, because there's, you can really look at like, okay, here's all of those, here's all of those like closest to me. And those are like, you know, having those conversations and understanding like, Hey, how could I get in here? At least, at least has like, it's an easier path to like, where it's like, Oh, that's, this cool. And nurse, like stepping out to be an entrepreneur and doing her own thing. Let's support her in this. And this will be great for all the EMTs and nurses and doctors that come in here and get, you know, a Red Bull, you know what I mean? Instead of, you know, and getting a Red Bull for the night shift, like, no, let's give it that opportunity. So, you know, just when I, if I could give you some like, you know, 
I always tr- try to think of like the position the entrepreneurs in based off of their experience and and what they understand better um, in the early stages, right? Because there's a, there's so much to like. It's this, you know, in two years you'll be like, wow, it's like man, if I would have known like this is everything I needed to know, I would have been like, this is impossible, right? That's almost like the, you can't even fathom what you don't know in the beginning. And it's all blinded by how fun it is to create a product. You know what I mean? And, and, and look, and I, I love the idea of like, be the light, you know, and, and letting like that sort of radiate and the energy of while you're doing it and, and really, sort of this idea of I have this idea that I would have liked to use when I was working that I'm making it for others like me so that they can be a better version, a healthier version of themselves. Like I think leaning into that could potentially drive some of that early revenue to take the pressure off of like where like like where should we sell it type of vibe. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I, absolutely. That's we are trying to like we're trying to dabble, right? Like, where do you put it? Where will it do best? Um, you know, who would appreciate it the most? Things like that. So yeah, and and look, I you know we we have a, a company called Muertos that is a coffee brand, and they are it's by firefighters for firefighters, right? And and so it's like, man, it's and even though uh, there's an incredible amount of scale based off the size of the coffee market. He really focused on uh, leaning into building a relationship with every single firehouse and just started in California mm-hmm. because he's a California firefighter and, and made a better coffee. Uh, and, 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 you know, they give a great donation to, to all, all the different causes that f- the support firefighters. Right. And so it's a, a, a very easy thing for that core group to support, but then long-term it's also very easy uh, for regular coffee drinkers to support it too, but they building the baseline in that buy us for us type of world um, that, you know, I would just think about like leaning into um, because man, the same way they built that business strictly through firehouses, you know, you could potentially do the same, you know? So I'd really, really think about that, you know, cause it, it could really be a much easier path to getting some footing rather than dabbling in like, you know, places where, uh, you're just really competing against the other sort of water enhancers and all of their varying divisions and cleaner waters, right? It's a pretty competitive space in trying to lean into your position and, and why you built it and where it comes from could be a way to get an advantage in an unusual distribution outlet, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a great insight. Thank you. Okay, now look, do you tell me about your life vision? You know, it's like you know, on this show, we like to for you to lay out how you see your life in the next 10, 15 years. I'd be curious as to as to how you see the, your business and your life uh, over the next few years. So, my obviously, my first the big life vision is having a successful business. You know, I'm stepping in, dipping my toe. Um, I'm really enjoying the process, but I want that to be successful. You know, I, I want to continue to challenge myself, challenge the creative part of my brain, you know, innovate new things. I want to, you know, we just had a daughter, so I want to be around for my daughter. You know, I want to have the flexibility in my schedule to still do what I love to do, but be around my family. You know, I want to be an inspiration to other women, my daughter, my family, you know, leave a legacy for them. 
Um, and I'm excited to just see what I can do. Yeah. And, and look, and it, it, you know, why I ask people to define it uh, is because most people never do. And when you mm-hmm. define it and even hearing you say it and even being asked to like, hey, you're going to be asked to say this. You're like, oh, OK, well, this is what it is and this is what it is. And <laughs> and and if you then now like put that same sort of idea into how you build everything and like, OK, well, really, wouldn't it be amazing if I could just sell this to, you know, 300 hospitals and do this many units a month and have this size business that was this profitable, that became sustainable, that was basically the anchor that that I could then hire people because I've automated it and it's sort of the sustainable income that now that my daughter's getting older, I can spend more time and then teach other entrepreneurs how I did it. You know, there's there's a path inside there that you want to be thinking about all of that. That all the time when you're figuring it out instead of working all day every day like stressing about what it is and then like and then not like even like thinking about it then if it begins to work then you're committed to it at such this higher level that now you've got to work even more to keep it working rather than always kind of thinking about how you want to live in it and what you want out of it and making sure that that informs the strategy uh the mm-hmm. whole way through now do you have a life question I sure do. I know you're very successful. Um, so what should I look for? Like, you know, me and my team after you're successful, right? Like, do you feel like you change or the people around you change? Like people tell you how to be successful, but they don't tell you what to look out for after you've achieved that. I, I, this, what I love about this question is it's so matter of fact, uh, in, in the <laughs> sense of like, Hey, so when this works and I'm highly successful, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a transition I want to be prepared for. I absolutely love it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like speaking truth to the future. You know what I mean? And it's, it's like, Hey, I don't, I, it is how I think about everything. Like I joke with my wife where it's like, she'll catch me like, like talking to myself and I just pump myself up all the time. In in my mind, when I'm by myself, I'm not like, I don't dwell and think about like negative. I'm over there pumping myself up about like something I'm going to do and like living out some bizarre like fantasy experience of like something I want to come through in the future. And, and I believe if you just always lead with that, the you the universe draws you to that. So I absolutely love that. But but look, I, I think the the more you define what success is to you and what your life looks like in success and and you grow into it uh, once you get there you've evolved there and it, even though if you looked at the day that you started versus getting versus the day you get there seems like this chasm you actually expanded and evolved into success if you define what it is you essentially are drawn to it and grow into it. So when you get there, um, you know, it's this, you know, you're filled with natural gratitude and and you're you're thankful and you can't believe that you actually even created this reality. And and you will naturally attract the people that should be around you and and naturally repel those that that wouldn't be. And as long as you play the game of life PL the same way you play the business PL, where you grow a, a business fundamentally for revenue, contribution margin, uh, expenses, and the leftover cash, 
right? And that is ultimately how a business is sustainable and profitable. And if you and your husband run your lives the same way, uh, where, where you know where that cash comes in and you keep your personal expenses and, and live the light and grow that to the lifestyle that you identify with and that you connect with as your identity, it's different for everybody. And, and you build your life in that fashion and then make sure that you live your and build your time with intention around what gives you energy and what makes you happy. Uh, that success um, will not change you. That success will not be anything other than the making of your own because it's what you already envisioned as what your success would be. And it will be incredibly natural to you. You will be like, wow, like I would have thought I was so much different here, but I'm just me uh, happy and fulfilled. You know, and and I think that's ultimately um, the goal and that you will find when you do find that success, you put the intention right. into it. It will be bizarrely normal because I still feel like the same kid from Ohio, even though like everything about my life, it was well, I couldn't even I couldn't even put a vision to, uh, you know, being 17 years old when I started my first company. But as you grow and evolve into it, it's still your authentic self and, and you're proud of yourself and, and ultimately very fulfilled. And if you do it the right way, it will, you know, produce pure happiness, which is ultimately a quality of life, you know? And I look forward to seeing you get there. Thank you. We're excited. All right. Well, look, I wish you the absolute best and I'm, uh, I appreciate you coming on here and, and look forward to seeing, seeing it evolve. Thank you. We appreciate the opportunity. It was great to meet you. All right. Be good. All right. That's it for our show today. Thank you again to everybody uh, for for listening and playing a part in all things Deer Deck Machine, whether that's supporting our do or die partners and, and buying our products, listening to the show, interacting with us on social media. Every single one of you appreciate you so much. Uh, as always, you want to, uh, you know, really support us. Hit us with those likes and subscribes, comments, star us, give it to us all. Go to DeerDeckMachine.com if you want to really get involved, be on the show, pitch us an idea, or become a machinist. Uh, we appreciate all of you forever and always. And we know that every single one of you is the visionary you. We know that you, you got your own vision. We know that you're listening to the show, developing a plan. And we know you got the heart to execute it because you're just like us. Until next time, see it, believe it, do it.